Welcome back to the Facts About PAX. I'm Michaela Isler, NAPAC's Executive Director, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Adam Belmar. And this is episode 65 of the number one PAC podcast in America. And Michaela, we're calling this show Back to the Future. And let me tell all our listeners why. Yes, she is the host of this show and the Executive Director of NABPAC, but we can now call Michaela Isler by a new title, Professor. That's right, the amazing students at the Graduate School of Political Management at George Washington University have themselves a brilliant new leader in the classroom. And today we're going to talk about that and have some fun considering what exactly we would want to be able to go back and tell, share, explain with our past selves about the Employee Funded and Business Trade Association PAC space. How does that sound, Professor? Well, it sounds good. And you are too kind as always, Adam. I think there is so much promise and energy in the professionals of tomorrow that this will be a really worthwhile and very telling exercise. And for something like this, you know, we've got to assemble the Facts About PAC's signature panel. With us for the first time in 2022, Amy Adams and David Schild. Thank you both for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. I've been called the bald Michael J. Fox. So this topic is right up my alley. I got nothing. I got nothing. Don't believe her for a second, but this is certainly an episode worthy of a bookmark, people. But before we fully dive in, let's talk about some NABPA activities to read out. January 25th, our next webinar outlining the pro-business candidates that all of our members need to have on their radar as we get into the 2022 election cycle. And we're going to hear from a panel of experts. We have our very own Paul Braithwaite with Federal Street Strategies, but we also have NABPA member Sharon Susson with NFIB, as well as Julie Conway, who Adam was a guest on our show before, and she's going to come back and talk about ViewPack and some of the pro-business candidates she's tracking. Definitely a webinar all of our members should have on their radar for next week. And coming up on February 22nd, we have another webinar, Your Internal Communications. And we are bringing back Rocky Krivijansky from Trine Strategies. For those of you that were at our conference in November, he was one of our panelists. And we're looking forward to really getting into the details a little bit more on your communication strategies with your internal stakeholders. So Adam, the trade tables are stowed and our chairs are in their upright positions. So let's get this bad boy in the air, shall we? The Facts About PACs podcast is produced especially for the members of the National Association of Business Political Action Committees. In every episode, we recap this week's NAPPA activities, share actionable intelligence and best practices, all while connecting the PAC community. And today's episode is brought to you by SAJAC Public Affairs. SAJAC Public Affairs is an award-winning consulting firm that provides high-impact community communications, fundraising, market research, and political engagement solutions to America's top associations and corporate political organizations. Sajak's philosophy is that results make all the difference, and they deliver. At Sajak, innovation and expertise are everything. They know the secret to transforming political organizations into success stories and have a tailored vision and plan just for you. Step into the future of advocacy with Sajak Public Affairs. Thanks, Adam. And I must say that stepping into this new role of professor is certainly a thrill and a privilege. You know, Adam, the caliber of students at GW's Graduate School of Political Management really is outstanding. And NAPAC has really had a longtime partnership with GW. And for those of you that aren't aware, we do have our Jan Barron Scholarship. And, and actually, a couple of our NAPAC members have been recipients of that scholarship. 
And I think it's a great opportunity, no matter where you are in your professional career, whether you're looking to just get that advanced PAC certification or to go on and get your master's degree, certainly a program worthy of all of our listeners' consideration. So I'm excited about the opportunity. And David, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, you're not going to find a stronger evangelist for the graduate school of political management than me. I went there, I went back to teach there, and the quality of the students coming out of the program and the fact that the school has chosen to affiliate itself with NABPAC, I think, is just indicative of this is a place where serious practitioners of political activity, of public affairs, go to get educated. If you're listening to this and you're thinking 2022 is the year that I'm um, going back to school, GSPM should definitely be on your shortlist. So I had the opportunity to talk to the professor after class number one. She was pumped and excited about the quality of these students she's talking about. But it did lead me to think all of us are in this profession at varying degrees and levels, but there are some great truisms that we wish we knew. And so I want to start off by asking you, Amy Adams, thinking about your consulting work and what it is to see new professionals coming in. What is one of the things that you would love to go back and tell yourself at the beginning about this entire industry that we're a part of? Always be learning. There is so much information out there. And I'm going to get into a little bit more about why I think that's so important. But I can tell you over time, the PAC directors and the professionals that I've met who've become PAC directors and then moved on to, you know, run GC offices have all one thing in common and it is that they never stop learning. They come to every conference thinking, what can I learn from here? Even if they've been doing it for 25 years, their programs are successful because they're always looking for opportunities to get better. That's really, really important. But I think the one that really jumped up to me is that this is not a political job. We all think, oh, it's politics. And and it is to an extent, right? We're helping to um, make sure that we're supporting candidates who support our organizations. But if you bring the mindset that this job is far much more about persuasion than it is about just straight up politics. I've seen so many people come right off the hill and say, okay, I've been in politics. I worked on campaigns. I can do this PAC job. It's not the same. And over and over again, I see people who think they've got it and tell me they've got it and then come back and say, oh, this is a little different. If you could really look at this as a job that's all about persuasion and then educate yourself accordingly from that standpoint, I think there's a lot to be learned in that area. Yeah, look, Amy is so right. A lot of us, I think, realized perhaps later than we wish we would have how much continuing education is involved in this profession. You have got to be devoted to getting smarter, I would say, in the individual arts of running a pack. And so let's talk about what some of that is, right? Writing. Boy, oh boy, uh, I don't have to tell Michaela because she's a professor at a graduate school. How many people come out of their undergraduate education and they're just not writing at the level that they need to be? And how do you get good at writing? You read a lot and you write a lot. And I wish I could tell my younger self, hey, man, a couple hundred words a day every day so that when it comes to the brochure, the CEO communication, the solicitation, the newsletter, whatever it might be, you're going to be more competent in that discipline. I definitely think that a certain degree of salesmanship, a certain degree, uh, you know, Amy called it persuasion, uh, but the ability to, to stand in a room and make a pitch. How do you get good at that? You get good at that by practicing and practicing and practicing and studying the great salespeople. Amy and I came up under Mike Dunn, a great salesperson. 
We learned a lot. We studied a lot. We pretended to laugh at a lot of his jokes. I mean, we've all been there, but there are people out there doing these skills and the time to affiliate yourself with them is earlier in your career. We all talk about the mentor-mentee relationship, and that's a big thing in the business community today. But just being around people who are good at this, right? I I sort of liken it to, I want to go running with the people running the seven-minute mile because that's where I want to be. I'm sure I could find a lot of people slower than me. What's that going to do? How's that going to sharpen me up? So I think that that's something that we want the next generation. And there's going to be several generations, at least, of future PAC practitioners out there to say, okay, what's my commitment to lifelong learning that starts today? What's my commitment to finding those mentors and those practitioners who are the exemplars of these skills? What am I going to learn? And I, you know, I touched on just a few of the disciplines, but there's many more out there. And that portfolio of skills, as you get better at each of those individual elements, you know, you're really more of a total package to any organization that uh, is lucky enough to have you. Dave, I think you hit the nail on the head with your writing skills. I've said for a long time, it's it's really a lost art. And in this job, we do do a lot of writing. So I would agree with you. And, and I definitely did not realize the salesmanship and the the sort of the power of persuasion. And, and I did learn from Mike Dunn. And while I couldn't be like Mike Dunn in his presentation style, I learned to hone my own style uh, that served me well and that gave me the confidence to get up in front of hundreds of employees and talk about this really crazy thing called a pack that most of our employees had no idea why it existed and why we were involved. Looking back over these, you know, almost 30 years in the business, one of the things that really sticks out to me is that when I, I guess when I first came into this space, I really thought everyone in government affairs and at the C-suite level had a really in-depth knowledge and understanding of pack management and, and what a pack is and how to run a pack. And the reality is, most don't. And so this is a real opportunity for particularly younger PAC professionals to use that to your advantage to become the go-to resource in all things PAC management, PAC compliance, PAC advocacy, you know, know the campaign election laws, understand when fundraisers and elected officials call, what you can and can't do. And you're going to find pretty quickly that you're going to set yourself apart and that you really are going to be the resident expert that your entire team and quite frankly, likely your organization is going to come to. And that's a real opportunity to step in and show leadership. Yeah, Michaela, and I think you bring up a really good point. This job affords a lot of people an opportunity to have exposure to far more senior people very early on in your career. And I think not only do these folks not often really understand government affairs the way we think they they probably do, but they're not going to admit it because they are so far along in their careers. And so you you have there's a real opportunity to sort of educate up and to make sure that you are proactively answering questions because they may not want to ask those questions for fear of not looking like they know what's going on. And so you can go through and do more education. I, I mean, the writing, David, absolutely. You know, behavioral science, if that was a college degree that I knew about when I was in college, I would have probably gone into behavioral science because I find it so fascinating. But all of this is about persuasion, writing. It's about selling, marketing, however you want to call it. There is a science to this and it is at our fingertips. We we do have access to great books, great other speakers. And and something else you said, David, that really hit a note for me was to learn from others in this industry. Our industry is so unique in that it's not, we're not competing against each other 
for our outcomes. We can only go and talk to the folks who are within our restricted classes. And so this industry and NAVPAC members, you know, very much so are so gracious with their expertise and are willing to talk and, and, this is no place to be shy. This this job, this industry is no place to be shy. All of this information is out there for the taking, but you have to be willing to make that call to reach out to Michaela or I and say, hey, I'm looking for a mentor or, hey, I have a question about this one topic. Who do you know who I can talk to? Because people will be more than willing. People who've done this for a very long time and who are very good at are going to be more than willing to share their expertise. But you have to be willing to put yourself out there and ask the questions. You're listening to the Facts About PACs podcast. And Amy Adams, David Schill, joining myself, Adam Belmar, and Michaela Isler. You know, the next generation of political professionals are critical to our industry. That is why Professor Isler is doing what she's doing, and David has taken his stark turn doing the same. I came up as a journalist, but there is something resonant in what I'm hearing from Amy Adams and David Schill that makes me feel as though permission to be curious isn't just enough. It needs to be ingrained in us at our earliest ages that it's your job. It's your job to join a NAB pack and understand what your colleagues are doing, to click links, to follow down the rabbit hole what others are doing and, and really be a consumer of political communication. Even Michaela, if it's not the kind of messaging that you personally are interested in, it gives you great insight into what's going on in the world. Do you find that kind of curiosity among your students? Oh, absolutely. And it may not feel like the sexiest of jobs when you get in because it feels a little bit administrative and you're filing reports and talking with payroll and doing data transfers. But the moment the light bulb clicks that you're the only person in your organization with this job and you have a touch point with every single you know, from the CEO on down, you know, various business unit heads, all of your government affairs team, really all of your employees, I think that you can take it to the next level and understand that there are more opportunities for you to grow professionally. And I think if you can hang in there and see the positive, you're going to find that you're going to have a very successful career, no matter what you do. And what we see, and David is a perfect example of this, and being able to sort of move out and even beyond, not that we'd want to see, I mean, we like to keep PAC managers in, in the PAC space because there's a lot of continuity and, and all of that. But, but if it's something you want to, if there's something else you want to do in your career, it is an incredible stepping stone really to whatever it is you want to do. Well, Michaela, we talk about this time machine idea. And if I could go back, right, and talk to my younger self, I mean, there's two big things right away. I mean, number one is buy Rogaine. And number two, obviously, is turn on your radar. Start listening to what's happening. I mean, I think this is adjacent to the point you just made, which is you need to have as a PAC professional an internal and external radar. And here's what I mean. Today, the technology puts in your hands the ability to basically monitor your entire list of candidates almost in real time. What's going on with them? Nobody should be caught unaware when somebody is perhaps getting into a controversial political area, perhaps when somebody is getting in trouble with the law, perhaps when somebody is using the funds that you've given them in an unconventional way. As the PAC director, you should be looking at everybody in your giving matrix and saying, hey, <laughs> they're making the news, maybe in a good way, maybe in a bad way, maybe in a way that affects our reputation, maybe in a way that our contributors are definitely going to react to. Boy, in the last two years, have we seen any elected officials and the companies and the organizations that support them get into media trouble? Sure, but could you have seen that coming or could you have at least anticipated and prepared? Yeah, if your external radar was up, 
if you had those search alerts, if you had those keywords and you were getting a daily digest of I'm watching the people I'm giving money to, yeah, absolutely you could. You could have been the best source of information. And then the other part is the, that internal radar. And boy, I realized this way too late inside a large Fortune 100 corporation because I wasn't listening to earnings calls early in my career. Did I really know what the financial health of the organization was? I wasn't paying attention to business trends, mergers and acquisitions, what was up, what was down. How many times has a PAC director walked into a facility where they just announced layoffs to ask for money? That's a preventable mistake, in my opinion, because you should have your finger on the pulse of what's going on inside your organization. You need to understand the context in which you are raising money. And so that means that whether you're working for a pharmaceutical company or you're working for a trade association that represents multifamily housing or you're working for an aerospace company like I did, you need to have some business fundamentals and business environmentals in your head before you tell people to reach for their wallets. I think that's just good practice. And that that's turning on that internal radar. David, you really tag onto something that I think is important. Remember to speak the language of your business and not just use the words that you see on their website, but to understand how your folks are doing business, what's happening in their business and tying it all back to that. These folks are not focused on politics. Most of the people that you're interacting with are not focused on politics on a day-to-day basis. They're focused on the business. And so you need to run the pack like it's a business. You need to to talk to them about how you've done a business analysis and this is how much the pack needs to raise based on your business analysis. You know, these folks are out there creating goals. They're trying to meet goals. They have strategies that they're working on every year. And that's the language that you should be using, which sort of also goes in tandem with this is a client service job. And that's a good thing to remember when you walk into it. Every single person that you're encountering is a potential member of your pack, you are always going to be the face of the pack. And so you have to be trying to make the pack as accessible as possible. You want them to have good thoughts and feelings about it. And as an ambassador for the pack, you can do that if you take that client service mindset. How can I make their lives easier? How can I provide more information for them to more easily make a decision to join? How can I help them understand and connect the dots between how public policy issues impact our business? That's a real mindset shift. And oftentimes, I think something that I wish I had really understood. I came out of client services and so that helped me, but I did it took me a while to really see how much of a connection there was. I thought I had a brand new job in the pack space. I didn't realize how much I was bringing from my client service background and from my training background into this space. I don't think I realized how much I was going to be the face of the entire government relations team with all of our employees and executives. And so if I didn't have an understanding of how the organization, from a financial perspective, from mergers and acquisitions, and how the issues impacted the operations of the company, if I couldn't answer the questions in front of these large audiences of employees about those issues that impacted the company or trade association, from a persuasive perspective, that makes it really hard for you to establish credibility internally and make that turn from someone who may have been on the fence and wanting to participate in the PAC and getting them to sign up and join the PAC. I do think it's critically important that no matter what issue it is, you need to understand that organization and how those issues tie back to the operations of the organization. I've got one for myself. If I could have pulled myself into a closet in the hallway and say, look, we've only got a minute. I'm not going to give you any details about the future, but just put this in the back of your head and don't you ever forget it. 
don't ever take the perspective of it's not my job. You know, the younger folks that say, not my table, not my section. Well, listen, when you're in this industry, you look at the headlines and the journalists are getting it wrong, conflating all kinds of things and putting out a false narrative. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm part of the pack and I'm in fundraising and it's not my job to be able to refute this. But the truth of the matter is, it is your job to have that conversation with yourself. How would I refute that? How would I explain it? Those questions may just be leveled at you by the CEO or someone in the C-suite. At a moment when you're not prepared, be prepared. It is your job. Think about all of it because how we give a best defense for what we do and what we're about and helping people deconstruct a negative narrative, it starts with owning all that information. Michaela, I think that's important. If I were a student in your class, I'd want to remember that. I hear that all the time, Adam, that's not my job or or I'm, I'm in a job and this wasn't in my job description and I'm doing you know three other tasks that weren't necessarily necessarily in the job description. And I say on repeat, that is an opportunity. And it is an opportunity to continue to hone your skills, learn something new. It goes back to what Amy said earlier. If you're not always learning, you're not going to be growing. You're not going to be moving up. You're not going to be successful. And even if it's something as minor as, you know, maybe some sort of event management or event planning, that all ends up being in your favor down the road. And so I think that's an excellent point that you brought up, Adam, and I wish more people would would look at the opportunities versus what they perceive might be setbacks or not getting them where they want to be. You know, it's so true that as you go forward, what do you get asked about by potential employers, by potential partners? What have you done? Tell me about a time this happened. Tell me about a time you did this. And every opportunity that you say no to, right, Michaela, everything where you say, yeah, there's another guy or gal who does that. You're denying yourself the chance to tell that story a year, five years, 10 years in the future when somebody goes, well, you know, part of this job involves X and I, have you ever done anything like that? You don't have to do, have done it well, <laughs> but you want to have the experience set, right? You want to have the experience set. So, you know, say yes to some of those opportunities or create them for yourself, right? That's what I wish I could go tell a younger Dave Schild is like, they're not going to fire you for asking permission. They're not going to do that. Stop being so scared of that. They can say no. That's the worst thing that they can say. And I think that timidity probably held me back at times. And so yeah, if you've got a great idea, run it up the flagpole. A lot of people did it once. It succeeded and it defined the next part of their life. One of the things that we have talked about and everybody in our community knows, there's great opportunity in employee funded and business trade association pack space. We have a lot of young people coming in, a great opportunity to learn and move up within your organizations. So Professor Isler, not only as you bring along these fresh new minds into the working world, all of us need to remember that it's incumbent to bring in and train up the people who are around us, who are new to the team. They will be in a heartbeat in four or five years time, the next set of leaders. They're so important and we cannot sacrifice the success of our organizations on poorly managing these new, really energetic people who are going to be our leaders in the future, Michaela. That's exactly why I am honored and, you know, agreed to take on this responsibility at GW because NAPAC has a mission of building a strong pipeline and making sure that this profession continues to be robust and professional and all the things we talk about. And so if we can change 14, 15 students at a time and get them into the fold, then all the better for all of us. Well, I just want to thank David and Amy for your time and insight today. Really appreciate you coming back on the show. And thanks to everyone, as always, for downloading and sharing this podcast. Subscribe and meet us right back here on the Facts About PACs podcast next week for an in-depth discussion with International Papers Global Government Relations Director of Political and Advocacy Strategy, Megan Joyce. She is also the NAPAC 2022 president. <laughs>